and welcome to the second episode of the Historian's Miscellany. In this episode, we are going out to the eastern part of the United States in the Green Mountain National Forest in the lovely state of Vermont to look at what some locals believe is a mystery similar to that of the Bermuda Triangle. This area has been coined the Bennington Triangle. The name was first used by New England author Joseph A. Citro. Citro described the area as the woodlands around Glastonbury Mountain that include the town of Bennington, Woodford, and Shaftesbury. There are also two ghost towns in this area, Somerset and Glastonbury. Why call out this area? Well, it got most of its attention when five people went missing in the area from 1945 to 1950. Further investigation, however, shows us that there have been long mysterious happenings in this area. Everything from a wild man or a Bigfoot, UFO sightings, and of course, many missing people. Some say as many as 40 people have gone missing in this area over the years. It all started long before Europeans started settling in North America back in the 18th century. The Algonquin Native Americans claim this area is cursed. Their myth tells us that this curse stems from the convergence of the four winds meeting and them having an eternal struggle. The actual winds do cause awkward growth patterns of the vegetation and sudden changes in the weather, so that's helped to explain this phenomenon. A follow-on to this story is that during the dispute of the four winds, the north wind was the strongest and placed on the land an enchanted stone, or some call it the malevolent stone, buried under the other three winds. The north wind, apparently, is all that is allowed to blow in this area where the stone lies. This stone is said to swallow people whole if they stood on the rock to gaze over the area. Apparently, the Algonquins only ventured into this area to bury their deceased because of the fears. Nobody has ever been able to pinpoint this area, or if they have, they have never been able to share that at a later time. So while the Algonquins have passed along these legendary stories, the colonial settlers had their fair share of them too. One such, one such story took place in 1867. There was this wild man that would come down from the woods and expose himself to the ladies that were in the area. Details around the stories include him wearing a long coat and nothing else. Some said that he would also be brandishing a revolver. Well, at least that was the story. We then have a story that took place in April of 1892. A mill worker in the town of Fayville, Henry McDowell, completely lost his temper and murdered a man by the name of John Crowley by smashing his head with some blunt object. He fled from the scene, but was later apprehended in South Norwalk, Connecticut. He then made a full confession. Henry kept talking about voices in his head and they wouldn't leave him alone. Because of this, he was remanded to the Vermont State Asylum in Waterbury. However, he eventually escaped. There were rumors that he returned to the area to hide in the woods, and possibly he may be behind some of the missing people. This brings us to another story about a man named John Harbor, a Woodford resident. While hunting in 1897, John was mysteriously murdered at his deer camp in Bickford Hollow 
which is located in a remote area in the hills south of Glastonbury. While hunting with his brother and, and a family friend, they heard the blast of a rifle, followed by him crying out, I've been shot! While they started searching in order to find out where he was yelling from, it wasn't until 11 o'clock the next morning when they found him. His legs were protruding out from underneath a cedar tree. His loaded gun was placed next to him, as if it was set there by someone or something. The men could not figure out why he was in that location and why he was placed that way. Did he crawl there after being shot? Did someone try to help him, possibly the shooter? There were no signs of him having walked or crawled to his final resting place. There were no clues at all. The mystery remains unsolved to this day. The next big explanation for all of the missing or harmed people is that a Bigfoot or the Bennington monster is loose in the area. Reports of Bigfoot-like creatures have been heard for two centuries in this area. One of the most interesting accounts in the early 1800s was that a stagecoach full of passengers were making their way over the mountains near Glastonbury, near what is now known as Route 9 near Woodford. They were traveling in the dark and a heavy rainstorm was making the travel on the dirt and rock roads difficult. The pouring rain forced the driver to do everything in his power to just keep moving forward. Eventually, he had to stop the stagecoach. When the driver hopped down from the coach to take a look at what they were facing, he shined a light from his lantern and noticed some unrecognizable footprints in the mud. It was particularly alarming because the rain had not washed away these tracks. This led the driver to believe that they were made by some creature recently. The tracks were both very large and spaced far apart. His deduction was that whatever made these was enormous. The driver described what he was seeing and asked the passengers if they had ever seen anything like that. Then, all of a sudden, the horses were starting to get really spooked and the driver feared that whatever made those tracks was nearby. While the passengers started to dismount their conveyance, something smashed into the side of the carriage. This expedited their retreat out of the stagecoach. The beast just kept hitting the stagecoach over and over until it was completely knocked over onto its side. Everyone bunched together with a fear that they have never known. Even with the heavy rain, most passengers described the large creature as being about eight foot tall and covered in hair. Its eyes were also very large. Some have suggested that this Bennington monster is really the Glastonbury wild man. After he was run out of the area, he came back, became cannibalistic and insane, and covered himself with the fur of animals and laid siege to anyone or anything coming through the area. Another incident attributed to a Bigfoot happened in 1943. A man named Carol Herrick went missing during a hunting trip about 10 miles northeast of where Glastonbury was once located. His body was discovered three days later, surrounded by huge mysterious footprints. It was determined later that he had been squeezed to death. Kind of a rather odd ending, I would say. 
Over the years, settlers would tell stories of unexplainable noises and smells. There are even recent documented Bigfoot reports in that area to add to this mystery. While most of these Algonquin and colonial settler legends are sparsely documented, the next series of events certainly are. And these are the series of events that really got the Bennington Triangle mystery going. During the five years that I'm going to talk about now, from 1945 to 1950, there were multiple stories of people going missing and the circumstances surrounding these incidents certainly raised eyebrows. The first to go missing during this stretch was a 74-year-old hunting guide named Mitty Rivers. On November 12, 1945, Rivers, who knew the area well, was leading a party of four hunters in the area of Hell Hollow in the southwest woods of Glastonbury. As he led the group back to their camp, he got ahead of them and never returned. Initially, the other hunters weren't concerned as their guide was a skilled woodsman. However, when Rivers didn't resurface the next morning, an extensive search was conducted by over 300 people from the area including a group of U.S. Army soldiers dispatched from Fort Devens in Massachusetts. Though they combed through the vast wilderness for eight days, the only thing found was a rifle cartridge of the same type that Rivers used. There was no evidence of an animal attack, and his body was never found. Even after this extensive search, many locals believed that the knowledgeable woodsman would be able to survive and would soon resurface in town but he never did. A year after that, 18-year-old college student Paula Weldon went hiking on the Long Trail on the Sunday afternoon of December 1st, 1946. She told her roommate that she was going out for a hike. Her roommate later reported that she remembered Paula saying how she was feeling a tad depressed in the previous days. Paula had told her roommate that she was homesick and she hadn't been home since Thanksgiving, for, for unknown reasons. At the local gas station there, a man by the name of Danny Fager, by the way, the gas station was right across from the college's entrance, he claimed to, to see Paula walking down the road at about 2.30 in the afternoon. The person by the name of Lewis Knapp then saw her at 2.45, picked her up, and drove her to about three miles from the trail where she planned to hike. Sometime around 4 p.m., Ernest Whitman and three of his friends came out of a camp in Bickford Hollow and saw Paula. She'd asked Ernie about the length of the trail before she headed toward a bridge that led to the trail. While on the hike, there was an elderly couple who were hiking about 100 yards behind her for a spell. She was recognized by the red jacket that she wore. When she failed to show up for her classes the next day at Bennington College, people became to get concerned. They conducted an extensive search for her, but the search didn't come up with anything. It included over 1,000 people on the ground, aircraft surveillance, a clairvoyant, and help from the FBI. All of this was backed by a $5,000 reward. The elderly couple who had seen her on the trail said that she seemingly just disappeared after, she, after they turned a corner on the trail. 
There was also a waitress at the local restaurant who served a girl matching Paula's description at 9.30 p.m. that night. The waitress said the girl was with a young man around 25 years old who was drunk and abusive. When he came up to the counter, the girl signaled to the waitress to come over and asked her what her current location was and how far it was to Bennington, Vermont. However, nobody could determine if that was Paula or not. During the massive investigation and search, no other clues to her fate were ever discovered. It was because of this disappearance that many believed wearing red while hiking in the area is bad luck. Exactly three years after Paula Weldon disappeared, James Tedford went missing on December 1st, 1949. Tedford was a a veteran and a resident of the Bennington Soldiers Home. He had been in St. Albans visiting relatives and was returning home on a bus when he vanished. According to witnesses, Weldon was one of 14 passengers on the bus at the last stop before arriving in Bennington. However, when the bus did come to Bennington, he wasn't on it. His belongings were still in the luggage rack, and an open bus timetable was left on his vacant seat. No one had seen him get off the bus at the previous stop or when they reached Bennington. Though the disappearance was investigated, no one had seen anything nor did they report anything suspicious in the area during that time. He just simply vanished. On October 12th, 1950, an eight-year-old boy named Paul Jepson went missing in the area. Jepson was playing in a cab of a pickup truck when his mother left him briefly to tend to her pigs. When his mother returned, the boy was gone. After looking for the boy in the immediate area, He was reported as missing, and hundreds of people again assembled in a search party. Ironically, Mrs. Jepson reported that he was wearing a red jacket. Bloodhounds were also brought in to search for the boy, who picked up his scent and followed it toward Glastonbury Mountain, but it was lost at a nearby crossroads. This suggested a possible abduction by a motorist, The boy's father also said that the young boy had been talking about visiting the mountain for several days. Though the area was searched for some time, no clues or remains of the boy were ever found. Just 16 days after Paul Jepson disappeared, Frida Langer went missing. The date was October 28, 1950. She and several other family members were camping in the woods near Glastonbury, near Glastonbury Mountain. 53-year-old Langer, along with her cousin Herbert Elsner, left their family campsite near the Somerset Reservoir to go on a hike. However, when they were just a few hundred yards from their campsite, Langer slipped and fell into a stream, soaking her clothes and shoes. She then asked her cousin to wait as she ran back to the camp to change her clothes. After Elsner waited for a while and Frida didn't return, He also went back to the camp to see if everything was all right. It wasn't. Frida hadn't returned to the camp. Instead, she'd seemingly disappeared in broad daylight in the short distance back to camp. In the next few weeks, several search parties, which included roughly 400 people comprised of police, volunteers, firefighters, soldiers, and even aircraft, searched for her and turned up nothing. The search was finally called off. Again, 
with no clues. Seven months later, her body was found near Somerset Reservoir in an area that had been extensively searched. However, due to the decomposition of the body, no cause of death could be determined. The case remains unsolved today. Frida Langer was the last person during this stretch of time of these five years to disappear and the only one whose body was ever found. Though no direct connections have been found that tie these cases together, other than the geographic area and the time period, some claim these disappearances were the work of a serial killer. They call them the Bennington Ripper and the Mad Murderer of the Long Trail. These were all names given to the possibility of a sinister suspect that lurked in the wilds, but no evidence was ever found to prove this. The police during this time were not familiar with serial killers or how they operated either. What about other stories, including some of those that have taken place here in the last few years? Author and hiker Chad Abramovich told a story while exploring in the area of a freak storm. The hike started on a sunny summer afternoon. Out of nowhere, the skies became dark and cloudy and the wind picked up really fast. It happened so quickly that no one in the party was aware that the weather was coming in until it was almost too late. They made their way down the mountain to the flats of Shaftesbury. When they arrived, it was completely sunny and dry. To make things far stranger, gas station attendants in Arlington were baffled that a thunderstorm had even passed through the area without them noticing it. In the book, Ghost Towns of New England, author Fessenden S. Blanchard spoke with Arlie Green, the oldest surviving member of the Madison family, who was one of the last families in Glastonbury. Green recalled the old days and one really crazy incident. Two local men went fishing on the Peters branch. One went upstream, the other went downstream. One of them was never seen again. A short time after that disappearance of the fisherman, someone found a human skull sitting on a tree stump near the brook. Speculation was that a panther got him. Would a panther leave the skull on a tree stump? In the book, Haunted Hikes of Vermont, author Tim Simmer describes an incident of hearing a ghostly train whistle while hiking along the West Ridge Trail, miles away from any functional railroad track, and the old rail bed that runs up into South Glastonbury. In 2008, Robert Singley, a music composition teacher at Bennington College and an experienced hiker, got lost on the same mountain. He took a trail that he knew well and had used often and used that same trail to head back. But this well-known trail didn't end up leading him to where it should have. According to Singley, he walked many miles before realizing that he should have already reached his car. At that point, a heavy fog rolled in and the trail became hopelessly dark. He went to a maple tree and tried to start a fire, but every stick he reached for was an animal bone. 
He finally managed to light a fire, and he sat huddled by the fire throughout the night. In the morning, he saw that he was actually on the other side of the ridge from his car. He was finally able to get his bearings and make it out alive. One story about two long trail hikers in October of 2008, they ran into a young man named Dave who helped rebuild fire towers along the trail. They started talking about the mountain's reputation and at this point, Dave decided to share his story. Dave spent some time on Glastonbury Mountain restoring the fire tower on the summit and would work up there for extended periods of time. While camping in Goddard Shelter, his friends reported that there were nights that he would sit up in his sleep and laugh uncontrollably. On other nights, when he would wake up screaming. His uh, mates there in the tent and in the shelter became very scared. Dave was considered a reasonable and sound person, so his behavior really concerned them. He'd never acted in a way like this before. In addition to all of the strange occurrences that we've already talked about, some people propose that alien abduction is, is what is happening with these people disappearing. There have been many reports of UFO sightings and strange lights in the sky that have all been spotted over the Glastonbury wilderness throughout the last century. The most publicized incident occurred in 1984 and included a, included a flying silo-shaped anomaly being reported over the skies of Bennington. An American journalist and influential ufologist, John Keel, uses, uses the term window areas to describe these places or some sort of interdimensional doorway or vortex into another world. New England seems to have a fair share of them. The legendary Bridgewater Triangle in Massachusetts, which has similar phenomena, and the summit of Mount Washington are two of the most notable. Many believe that Glastonbury Mountain is just merely an extension of these and is one of those locations. What do you think? Are supernatural things really happening? Or is it just the wild animals in the area killing people? Whatever you believe, I can tell you that this area is beautiful. We lived not far from there for a few years. We made the drive through this area to Bennington on several occasions. We camped in the Vermont wilderness, just not in the Bennington Triangle. If you want to hike or explore in this area, don't wear red and keep your eyes peeled for the Bennington monster, the wild man, UFOs, or even a serial killer. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Historian's Miscellany. I certainly hope you enjoyed it. Please let us know your feedback by leaving comments on our Facebook page, on Instagram, or as a review on your favorite podcast streaming platform. If you have suggestions for future shows, feel free to pass them along. And please, stay curious.